Uh, well, hi there. My name is LT. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at Church by the Bridge. It's great to be with you this afternoon. I'm going to pray for us as we come to God's Word. Let's pray. Father, we pray that this, your Word, will come alive to us. We ask that you'll show yourself to us. We ask that you'll show us ourselves and that you'll show us our Saviour, Jesus. And in his name we pray. Amen. In the 1972 Olympics, uh, there was two 100-metre athletes who were basically tipped to win the gold medal. Now, obviously, only one of them could win, but they were, if you like, co-favourites. A possible third, but these guys were really in the running. Ray Robinson and Eddie Hart. So they woke up on their day of the quarterfinals. They'd ran the heat, made it to the quarterfinals. And so that day, they're actually good friends. They shared a room at the village. Um, their race, they thought, was later in the day, so a bit later, before that later, they went to the ABC television kind of studio so they could watch some of the Olympics. And so Ray Robinson, Eddie Hart, and actually a third guy were watching this TV monitor, watching some of the Olympics they thought was live, or actually when they saw some 100-metre races, they thought they must be repeats. And then they started watching one race, and it instantly dawned upon them, and three of them together, like a chorus in unison, said, that's our race. They had missed their quarter-final race, so what they did, they raced to the Olympic arena... The third guy actually was managed to rip off his tracksuit, get onto the track quick enough and run his quarterfinal. But the other two blokes missed out. Of course they appealed, but no, there was no basis for appeal. They just didn't turn up, so they were disqualified. So not only did they not run their race, they had like zero chance of getting a gold medal. Gone, just like that. All because their coach had the wrong schedule an outdated one, and of course he told them the wrong time. So here they were, unprepared, not ready to run their race. And so they came up short. Actually, they didn't even get up to the track. So important, isn't it, in life to be prepared, to be ready. There's so many things in life that we're being prepared for, we're getting ready for. So I'm not sure as you think about your week coming up, what's one thing you might be getting ready for? There's always that one thing, isn't there? And you've probably thought about the preparations that you need to make. Well, quite clearly in the passage tonight, what we've seen is that we are to be ready. We're to be ready in, in light of one main event, that all of history is in a steady, slow march towards. It's one event that you can guarantee will happen, and that is the return of Jesus. 
And this passage, the words of Jesus, you could say, are summed up there in verse 40 where he says, You also be ready because the Son of Man is coming, coming at an hour that you do not expect. There it is, plain and simple, Jesus' message for us this afternoon. He is returning and we need to be ready because his return will be sudden and unexpected. And what comes with Jesus' words that around and that follow are a warning. It's interesting, in the parables, we do think of them as nice, story, nice stories with a little life lesson. Or we do think of Jesus as you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. But as you come to the parables, Jesus leaps out of whatever caricature you've got him in. Already we've seen that he, that he gives warnings very clear warnings and so this afternoon we've got another warning before us so let's jump in and have a look at the passage firstly what we see is the plain and main thing jesus will return there's no mistaking it jesus will return he says that he will in talking about himself as the son of man the stories he tells are all about a coming of a master, which of course he's talking about himself. So verse 35, be ready for service and have your lamps lit. You must be like people waiting for their master to return. Verse 37, it talks about those slaves the master will find alert when he comes. Verse 38, if he comes... Verse 40, of course, I've already read it. The Son of Man is coming. Verse 43, talks about when he comes. And verse 46, when the Master will come. You can't miss the primary event that Jesus talks about as he teaches here in this part of the Gospel. We must let the plain things be the main things. And what is plain is that Jesus will return. As sure as he came the first time and he rose again from the dead, he will come a second time. Jesus will return. Now, I don't know about you, but when I thought about the second coming again this week and the return of Jesus, the first thing that came to mind are people on the streets with those sandwich boards on them or a megaphone crying out, repent Jesus is returning judgment is coming and it's only negative connotations isn't it you kind of dismiss them and if you're a Christian you kind of walk quietly around them as far as possible as everyone else is or you might be like me when you come to the second coming uh, where it seems when I was growing up we weren't letting the main things or the plain things being the main thing but everything else being the main thing about the return of Jesus that is how and when he would come. That seemed to be the things that I was being drawn to focus on. Uh, all sorts of diagrams, schemes, charts. Well, actually for me, scary movies as well, real to real. But Jesus doesn't want us to be focused on how or necessarily when, only that it will be unexpected. He wants us to know that simply he'll return. It's the main event. But notice he does have a little bit of a, 
an uh, illustration of the unexpected nature of the second coming in verse 39. But know this, if the homeowner had known at what hour the thief was coming, he would not have let his house be broken into. Now, hand up if you've had your house broken into. Got mine up. Hand up if you were there ready for the thief to come in. No, that's just how it is with robbers and houses. We came home and were horrified. Front door open, glass sliding door broken. Our neighbours heard it and saw lights on, but they didn't really expect it to be a robber because you don't expect a robber to be coming into a house. We came into our house and it was a bit more messier than usual and some things were gone. But I heard of this couple uh, this week, a story from a while ago, a couple who lived in Liverpool in England. They used to park their car on the street and one morning they got up and they noticed their car had gone. It had actually been stolen. They reported it. But it seems like just as they reported it, the car reappeared one day. Unlocked inside was a note from the robber, obviously, apologising for the inconvenience of taking their car, but they really needed it. And to kind of make up for the inconvenience, they bought them two theatre tickets. I mean, at this point, this is a lovely thief, isn't it? Of course, they trotted off to the theatre one night, only to come home and find their house had been broken into. He seemed to have a plan, didn't he? And we all draw the conclusion that probably was the thief, because it probably was the thief. But there's no way they were expecting, okay, we've got the fitted tickets, we'll be out, the robber will know we're out and rob our house. Otherwise, they wouldn't have gone. So it is with Jesus. He'll come in an unexpected way. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we kind of do expect the possibility of a robber by having insurance and our possessions in our house and our house itself insured. But we don't really prepare for a robber. But we must prepare for Jesus because Jesus will return, guaranteed. So then, of course, he says, be ready. There's a plain command, isn't it? If the, if the main thing, because it's plain, is the event of Jesus' return, the main command, because it's plain, verse 35, be ready. Be ready for service. Verse 36, it says, waiting for their master. Verse 37, to be alert. Verse 38, again, alert. Verse 40, ready. Verse 47, prepared. All actions, aren't they? In light of something coming, these are the things you are to be ready, waiting, alert, ready, prepared. And you're only those things where there's something coming up that you're looking forward to. And it's interesting, isn't it? You think of the return of Jesus, how awesome that will be, and you won't miss it. But at the same time, it seems that Jesus, as is often the case in the Bible, we're commanded to the obvious response. Jesus knows us so well that he knows we need to be commanded to that because otherwise we wouldn't do it. So he says, be ready. And there's a sense in which it's not let go and let God in light of his return, but actually trust God and get going. There's a working, waiting 
the illustrations Jesus talks about in terms of the house and the servants, where the master goes away, like to a party, it's as if the servants are expecting him to pop back in as if he's forgotten something. And so, like when he knocks on the door, nearly as he knocks, they're opening it because they're ready for his return. Uh, The picture of being ready is actually the picture of girding up your loins. It's the old way of talking about picking up your robes that they used to wear, tucking them into your belt so you're ready to run, so you won't trip over. Getting your running shoes on so you're ready to go. I heard this week about these uh, lights you can get where you can turn them on and off with Bluetooth through your phone so that when you're away, you can put the lights on as if you're home because we all expect robbers to come. Not back in those days. They had lamps that had to keep doing things to keep a light. And so these servants were active, ready. They were working, waiting servants, working faithfully. And you see the other illustration Jesus talks about also with a house. And this one, he entrusts the management of the household to some servants as well. And the managers are active, providing the least of which to provisions for the servants so they're sustained, waiting, working servants. Because that's what you do when you're preparing something to happen that's guaranteed to happen. You, know, you might invite friends over for a meal. It may not always be guaranteed. You never know what could happen. But there's things you'll do in preparation. You won't be passive, will you? There's a list to, to write of the things you need. There's the shopping that you have to necessarily do. There's the preparation. There's the cooking and there's the serving much activity that happens in preparation for that event. So it is with the coming of Jesus, not some kind of passive or idle thing. You might say, what does this look like, waiting for Jesus? What what would it actually look like in my life? It would be doing the Master's will. Okay, what does that look like? Well, whatever you find yourself doing, Working, fathering, mothering, studying. Doing it as if you're serving the master with the attitude of Jesus is coming. I want to be found as a faithful servant. But more tangibly, Jesus has already given us some ideas. In the previous chapter, or before this, in this chapter, not to worry. Don't be anxious today what you'll have. Because Jesus will provide. Not to be hypocrites like the Pharisees who didn't walk the talk. Live consistently with what you claim to be true. Not to store up treasure on earth, but to store up treasure in heaven and be rich towards God. Which includes, in Jesus' teaching, giving away possessions to those in need. There's some very concrete ways that we can be waiting and working faithful servants. So have you given the return of Jesus a thought this week? It's a little bit unfair from from me because I've had to because I'm preaching it. But how about you? And if so, 
Did it change anything for you? It changed the way you were thinking about things and what you were doing. Did it change the way that you spoke or didn't speak? Did it change the way you used your hands in the service of yourself or others or your feet? Did it change the way you used your possessions and thought about them? Jesus says he will return. He commands us to be ready. And he gives us a warning. First, it's really an encouragement of a warning, but then also a real threat that comes our way or could be coming our way. So firstly, verses 37 to 38, let's go back there, where Jesus says, those slaves the master will find alert when he comes will be blessed. I assure you, he'll get ready, have them recline at the table, then come and serve them. That's a remarkable picture when you think about it. The roles are flipped. The master's coming to the servants, but what actually happens, because they're blessed servants, is he serves them. And what we're talking about is a picture of the Lord Jesus himself. Now, then that picture is consistent and makes sense, doesn't it? Because we know Jesus shows leadership, lives life in an upside-down kingdom where his service or his leadership or his example is one of service to the point where he laid down his life for us, giving his life as a ransom, paying the price that we should have paid so that we could be set free from our slavery to sin. So it's no surprise that the great blessing that comes to those faithful servants is Jesus serving you, being a blessed servant. And he repeats that in verse 38. Those slaves are blessed. But also in verse 43, he says, that slave whose master finds him working when he comes will be rewarded. I tell you the truth, he will, not put, him, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. What comes with faithfulness is great reward, which is increased responsibility. That's countercultural, isn't it? I suspect one of our cultural things as Aussie typically is responsibility avoidance. But here in the kingdom of Jesus, it's increased responsibility that's a reward. Not forgetting you're a servant because Jesus has served you at the cross first. Your service is done out of right response to what he's done for you. You're a servant because he's made you a servant, not because you've earned your right to be a servant. And that your service matches and is consistent with who you are and who he's made you. And you'll be rewarded for living that out. There'll be evidence. You'll have a, a, a servant character index, if you like, because you're a servant. But also what follows is a warning about a punishment that can come. Verse 45, but if that slave says in his heart, my master is delaying his coming and starts to beat the male and female slaves and to eat and drink and get drunk, that slave's master will come on a day he doesn't expect him at an hour he does not know. 
it will cut him to pieces and assign him a place with the unbelievers. And that slave who knew his master's will and didn't prepare himself or do it will be severely beaten. But the one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. I don't know about you, but that takes, causes me to take a big breath. This is Jesus in full powerful force, not physically, but with words. They're stark, they're vivid, they're decisive. And I'm not sure what you're up to in terms of the Christian faith, but many people, you might be, this might be you, find the idea of judgment of God offensive. And to be honest, when I come to these uh, deep and heavy themes of the Bible and the Christian life, I always go to a friend, J.I. Packer, and his book, Knowing God. If you don't know that book, my personal opinion is it's the best book ever written in the Christian life. J.O. Packer, listen to what he says about the judgment of God. The final proof that God is a perfect moral being, not indifferent to questions of right and wrong, is the fact he has committed himself to judge the world. Not indifferent to right and wrong. We're not indifferent to right and wrong, aren't we? And we hold that up as a good thing. How much more so God who knows all things and will bring about true justice. We long for someone to bring about justice. And God will do it. How good is that? Joe Packer goes on to quote another guy called Leon Morris. This is what he says. The doctrine of final judgment stresses man's accountability. And the certainty that justice will finally triumph over the wrongs which are part and parcel of life here and now. That's something we long for as well, isn't it? Finally triumph over all the wrongs. The Christian view of judgment means that history moves to a goal. Judgment protects the idea of the triumph of God and of good. It's unthinkable that the present conflict between good and evil should last through out eternity, judgment means that evil will be disposed of. That's a good thing. And Jesus is saying he'll come as the judge and that's what he'll bring, justice. Punishment that to those who deserve, reward to those who deserve. You see the person who receives the punishment, someone who's acting contrary to what they know to be true, the master in charge of servants, not actually doing what he should be doing, but doing the very opposite. Not just neglecting them, but abusing them. Of course, there must be justice for that. And Jesus says, they will. They're acting in a way that contrary to the way God's made them to be. And so he puts them in a place that matches that. And that's called hell. They're assigned to the place of the unbeliever because they're living in their whole life's direction, expressed in their actions in that way. 
Notice the principle by which Jesus is basing his judgment on. Verse 48. The one who did not know and did things deserving of blows will be beaten lightly. Here's the principle. Much will be required of everyone who has been given much. And even more will be expected of the one who has been entrusted with more. I don't know if you, ha- you think you have much or not. But knowing, see, see here that the much is the knowledge, knowing. They knew and didn't do. We know a lot. The fact that we're sitting here. All the resources we have. The Bible itself in, in, in all our hands, in all our phones. Sitting here in uninterrupted silence hearing teaching on the Bible. There's never been a time in history when we've had so much access to the teaching of God's Word, especially us, books, the internet, on and on and on. This principle, to be honest personally, is one of the main reasons I became a minister of of the Gospel and went to Bible college. Because my testimony, my story of life starts with there's never a time when I haven't known Jesus as Lord and Saviour. Wow. As that increased day after day, year after year, I got to a point where I thought that I've got a huge responsibility because I've been entrusted much in terms of the knowledge of God. And that's just on the basis of the knowledge of God, let alone all the resources we have. We have, we have great responsibility, friends. On the basis of what we know about God and what he's done for us in Jesus, the lives we lived in response to that, all we richly enjoy that we've sung on, that God is so good, he loves us. We are who we are because of his love for us, not our love for him. Our service of him is only in rightful response of his service to us in Jesus. And it's no wonder those who have responsibility over people, maybe he's talking about leaders in church, of course he's talking about them, but You could say anyone who has responsibility over people. Is that at work? Is that in your community? You must show yourself to be a faithful student, servant before the Lord Jesus as king. We can easily forget his coming, can't we? Our faith wanes, our effort declines, our commitments vanish. Study of God's word, prayer, self-discipline, edged out because of life, or really the pursuit of earthly treasures. Not only personally, but as a church, we can be found to be falling asleep. The things that happen, as you read the New Testament, happen when we're asleep as a church, that we're called to wake up. What happens when we're asleep as a church? Worldliness creeps in. Evidence of that is the declining attendance at church. And it's sad to think that for many of us, what will reflect in the surveys, that many of us will think we're regular attenders and we only come once a month or once every two weeks which hopefully may not be the case. I'm not sure what you put in the survey. So in light of Jesus' return, what would you change right now? Billy Graham, great, great long-term preacher. Faithful man of God. Age 90, year 2000, Parkinson's disease, invited to to speak at a luncheon in his honour. Of course he said no, because that's the man he is. They pleaded with him to come and he said, okay, I'll come. We want you to share a few words. I'll share a few words. So he got up after they said lots of good things about him. He got up and shared a few words. Shared a few words. 
He finished by talking about the suit he was wearing. He said, my kids have been telling me that I'm becoming a, coming a little bit kind of slack and loose with my dress. I used to you know, dress well, but my suit's a bit old and tired, so I thought I'd better buy a new suit. So he said, I'm wearing a new suit. And I bought this suit for two occasions. Of course, this occasion, which is this lunch, the other occasion is this is the suit I'll be buried in. I thought, well, that's consistent with the man we know to be one who lives in light of reality, especially the realities of who Jesus is. It's very rare to find an old person lives in light of the reality that death's imminent. But he's a Christian man who does. Let alone the reality that Jesus' return is imminent. As much as our death should shape us because we're going to meet Jesus, so the return of Jesus should shape who we are. So are you ready to die and meet Jesus? You could say that with a blissful, peaceful yes if you know him at the cross. If not, turn to him today. Know what it is to enjoy the favour of God and the rich reward that will come from a life of faithful service. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and grace to us in Jesus. Thank you for your service of us in him. And we pray, Father, that our lives will reflect a life that understands we've been served by him so that we will serve others and serve you faithfully to our day's end or until Jesus returns. Amen.